In this podcast, we're joined by Birmingham City Assistant Academy Manager, Stuart English. Stuart has vast experience in player development, having worked at Luton Town, Brentford FC and Birmingham City, and he's one of England's brightest young coaching talents. In his role at Birmingham City, Stuart's responsible for overseeing not only the player development program alongside Academy Manager Christian Speakman, but developing coaches, supporting staff and constantly looking for trends and ways of innovating. We pick up the conversation with Stuart sharing some insights into what made Brentford's Academy unique and his experience working with Foundation Phase Age players. We hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget, head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com and check out the Masterclass Discussion section for more interviews with world-class practitioners and experts. Just going back to the Brentford uh, sort of time before we push on with a bit more about Birmingham City, you were head of coaching and really focused on the foundation phase there as the, in the lead role and, and obviously worked across a variety of groups, but sort of became known, known I guess, in the London scene as a specialist around um, that age group. And can you tell us some of the key lessons um, that you learned personally from working in the foundation phase and some advice for coaches around that sort of nine to 12 age group and, and why the club produced so many good players who have since gone on uh, since the academy's closure? Um. It's a good, good question. I wouldn't call myself a specialist, but I certainly <laughs> did really, really enjoy working those young ones, and I still do do now. Um, I think, I think the, the the joys you get from working with the young ones is they're so um, enthusiastic, they're so positive, um, there's so many ups and downs, so many challenges, and I think you can really impact their lives um, as a kid but obviously also as a footballer so that's that's why it was so enjoyable and, uh, and probably the reason I never really wanted to move away from it. Mm. Um, I would say in terms of the things I learned when I first started I think I was very much, much driven by um, what I thought was right um, in terms of I wanted them to play free-flowing football, I wanted it to be a position game and um, it was a lot about what I believed in um, as a, that was good coaching or good play and I think the more and more time I spent with it and and I realised and I kind of checked myself was that it needs to be around the individuals, it needs to be around what the players need as opposed to, so I would have 77 um, game and we'd be getting it and we'd be passing it and we'd be moving it and we'd be keeping loads of ball. Um, but potentially there wouldn't be enough risk, potentially there wouldn't be enough uh, um, dribbling, potentially there wouldn't be enough um, defenders playing through lines quicker um, because it was very much get it, move it, kind of sim simple passing. So I think, although I don't think that, that massively hurt them, in some, in some ways I think it would have programmed them um, to do that without them actually making the decision themselves. So I think if I, went, I was to go back and restart that again, it would be much around what's the individual group I've got here, mm -hmm. what do they need, and how do I give them more of that in terms of the practice of whatever they, they are good at, um, whatever decisions they need to make, um, and get them driving it as opposed to, and I'm the kind of facilitator, and I'm the, the challenger that I'm going to add um, the, like the challenges, the tweaks, um, the constraints to, to to make it hard for them, but they're, they're going to be figuring it out more than themselves as opposed to me driving everything. Now, I think there needs to be a balance. I think there's still a massive 
value of coach helping the players um, and as I say challenging them I'm not saying be completely redundant but certainly let them drive it more and be around what I'm seeing from them as opposed to what I've got in my head, I yeah. suppose would be the big thing. And I think what you're saying comes with that evolution of experience, doesn't it? And that ability now to reflect on, you know, what you really did well there. And and that sort of view that you shared with a lot of the staff there around strengths-based training and focusing on players, you know, being in groups of dribblers or groups of passing and receiving players because that was their attribute certainly stood out as a highlight. And I guess the, the answer you've just sort of suggested segues nicely into what in your view, you know, looks like a positive learning environment for young players across the board? We've got a massive thing at, at Birmingham about it being an authentic childhood experience. Um, and I really like that because academies, what we do is as a general, speaking very generally here, we, we make it too professional too early. Um, now, there's some really important kind of professional things that you can start incorporating, but we need to remember that they are still kids. Um, so what we talk about at Birmingham is being the kind of best Sunday league club, um, which I think is a term that we've we've stolen from someone else. I can't remember who mentioned it first. Um, so it's still getting the fun and enjoyment of the parents mingling, the players having fun, the players. Um, spending time with each other away from, from the club as well. Um, but you've also got presentation awards at the end of the season. You've also got little days out. Things that they would do with their Sunday club, that if they come into us from under seven, they would actually miss out on. Mm. But it's really, really important from a social perspective, especially that they have the relationships with the, with the players. So it's got to be a whole, it's got to be an environment that's really inclusive it's remembering that their kids as the priority and then helping them to get better and better but making sure and trying to find a way where we're keeping their love for football at the forefront of everything mm. because it can I've seen it and it's really sad that it can get too serious too quick too professional and it becomes upsetting for the players and they end up not enjoying it and not progressing and even at times falling out of love with, with football which is really really sad Mm. So it's finding a way to keep it kid-friendly, as positive as possible. Um, but obviously, positive environment is also one that's, that's challenging. The best always want to get better. So it's, I'm not saying positive and all kind of high fives and everyone's brilliant. It's still really challenging because that's what the best always want. Yeah, certainly very uh, uh, advice there around, you know, just how... Uh, how you can sort of build that environment. I think it's so easily forgotten that, uh, that they're still kids. And I think often these systems that we work within can be best suited to adults. And it's really refreshing to hear that that's a, that's a focus of, of what you're looking to work on. And at PDP, I guess we, we promote a message of um, ecological dynamics and the environment being such an influence over the player as an individual. Um, and that ecology and, and those interactions between players, between athlete and coach, between athlete and environment are so crucial in how they develop. I mean, do you think there are any sort of key, <clears throat> excuse me, key strands in terms of how those environments and those interactions develop technically excellent players and, and what coaches can do to facilitate an environment that actually um, you know, strives towards technically exceptional players? I would say, I would say it's got to be about, it's got to be focused on intent 
intent. So intent rather than execution. So intent is encouraging the player that's maybe um, trying that really clever, um, longer split pass um, that hasn't quite got it yet, but his idea is really, really good. Mm. And the actual decision of the time to do it has actually been also good, but there's maybe some slight technical adjustments that, that they need to make. And then it's managing that intent. So if that intent's good time after time after time, but it's, but it's not quite making it, it's then the skill of the coach to step in and, and, and figure out how they can help him to make sure he, he can execute and make that pass in the future. So I think that's a really big one because as soon as you, you start jumping on the execution rather than the intent, then problems can occur and players will stop doing certain things because ultimately they want praise and they want success. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the coach can go, that was really, really good. I know you didn't quite make it, but um, the idea it was, was, was good. And then as time goes on, potentially drilling deeper into in terms of why and, and how and discussing it with them and maybe even doing some practice with them in mm. terms of the t actual technique. And then I think the other thing is about practice. How can you encourage practice now uh, certainly at Birmingham we don't do loads and loads of um, kind of repetition um, individual type type practice because we want to try and encourage them to do them that away from the training ground or before training or after training mm. but we've got a, a challenge at the moment in terms of how we can make that um, I suppose sexier how can we get players wanting to come and practice more how can we get players just wanting to go the old school kind of against the wall and just refine that inside of the foot technique, refine that laces technique. Because as you look back and as you speak to the, the ex-professionals, those are things that they just did naturally. And, and obviously the, the world has changed and it's much more difficult now for, for kids to be out on the streets and, and practicing with their friends. And unfortunately that's just the way it is. And so we need to make sure that the environment is one where they can come and practice before training or they can stay afterwards. Um, but again, that's something we're looking to, to try and improve on um, now. Now, I think the third thing is just with your sessions, I'm a massive believer of there's not a, there's not just one way to execute something. There's not one way to, to play an inside of the foot pass. Different people will have slightly different ways and it's making sure your sessions allow for that. So if it's if it at times it's too prescribed and it doesn't progress to any decision making or any ownership from the player, then I think potentially you're forcing them into something that's just not right for them because they are all different players. So it's making sure, and I'm not saying you can't do some really refined work at certain times, mm. but I think within that it has to be an opportunity for them to um, express themselves in the, the way that they find best for them because the best teacher for me is the kid themselves because they come up with some ridiculous things that you've never even thought of I and mean, some techniques and some ideas you've never thought of and, and that's brilliant that's the game and that's why we love the Neymars the messes of the world because they'll figure it out themselves yeah. so I think across the, those the areas with a mixture of those will all kind of incorporate it and, and I suppose patience yeah yeah there's got to be a long term view in play doesn't it yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Some fantastic advice there. And, and you've obviously mentioned the focus at Birmingham on a childhood experience and, and not forgetting that they're kids and, and they're certainly not many adults. But how do you then incorporate the idea of play into player development, which we know is a fundamental in terms of kids learning you know, physical literacy at the younger stages through to just enjoying themselves and having a positive experience, which you've touched on. So are there certain nights during the week where perhaps play is more of a focus or is there a structure in the way you periodize the program as to whether play is the focus or is it something that you're looking at incorporating in a more sort of more constant basis? It's it's an area of, of discussion again for us. It's something we're looking to to evolve. The the biggest challenge is for it to be real play. We're not there. Um, the adults, the staff are not there. So we we can't really give them that unless we could get um, maybe like a we've spoken about maybe a little cage or something like that at a training ground. I think then that could be real play where they just turn up before training and they're just getting there and playing that would be brilliant in my opinion um, some kind of playground some kind of cage at the training grounds uh, but obviously budgetary constraints that's that's not always easy um, so what we're trying what we're trying to look at is what's what else what else could we do within within our ways so there's one thing we do which is a, a sports hall type session which is a very unstructured session it's a different venue to give it a little bit of a different feel um, and it is pretty much the kids just just playing games, being creative, um, and having little tournaments. It's not completely free play because the staff are there, so there's going to be a bit of impression management from from the players, unfortunately. But hopefully, if the, the staff are encouraging the kids to be free and at times letting the staff run the uh, the players run the night in terms of the teams, in terms of how they want to run the tournament, getting the kids involved in that process and letting them run it, I think that could, that's hopefully getting us close to play. Um, and then I suppose the other thing is just around some mixed age group stuff. We're trying to incorporate more. I think before my time there was quite a lot. And in the last two or three years, we haven't really, <clears throat> excuse me, had as much, but we're just trying to incorporate that now where over across three, maybe four age groups, there is some opportunities to have some tournaments, have some um, have some games where again the players are, are running running it a lot more than than the staff. Mm. Um, so that would be the probably the two main ways that that we try and incorporate it. But, but it's work in progress, definitely. Yeah, fantastic to hear. And obviously, we've spoken to people like Johnny Henderson over at Bristol Rovers, who I know focuses a lot on sort of street football and trying to be innovative. And Paul McGuinness as well, who's, who's sort of uh, intimidation by skill workshops, uh, I know are, are proving to be a bit of a hit over in the UK at the moment. And, uh, and he's yeah. spoken about that sort of mixed age groups and the benefits there. So certainly some good advice for coaches. And in terms of you know, English football, going back to the bigger picture. And I know, you know, you and I would sit in the car when I first turned up in London and you drive me around very generously because I didn't have wheels at the time, but we'd sit there and talk about the future of English football. And, and I remember asking you a question at the time saying, look, you know, obviously the system was overhauled. I believe it was 2009 when the Triple P came in or around then. And, and I said to you, when, when do you think you're going to start seeing the evidence of that? And I think at the time you said, you know, it's going to take at least 10 years for some of these players to come through. But what we've seen over the last year or so is, is England youth teams having great success at youth level. So when we go back to that big picture, what do you think is happening to, you know, across the academy scene and across English football to actually lend itself to that kind of success? 
I think one of the best the best things has been the Advanced Youth Award because the Advanced Youth Award has progressed us as coaches from a from coaching badges that's purely around testing knowledge um, and kind of the more tactical side or really prescribed technical side with the old level two to now about the four corners and understanding the person. Um, and I think that a, a lot of coaches have really, really enjoyed that course and B, I think it's, it's, something that you can grab and you can take elements of it however many elements you want to take depending on obviously your culture and your environment and your personal um, biases and beliefs and you can have a better understanding of coaching teaching and setting a, a kind of good and positive environment so i think that's been a really really big part of it obviously some people won't agree with everything that's on the course and some people may, may not have enjoyed it as much but from the coach side, i speak to i think that's been a real positive because it's been much more relevant to coaches within academies mm. because it's more about, like I say, the individuals and, and the environment and, and the learning side of things as opposed to just the game and the tactics of the game. So I think that's been a big part. Um, the EPPP obviously has forced people into um, some good practice. Now, obviously, there's been a massive increase in admin that's has brought frustrations, but there's been some really, really positives from that in terms of there is much a much deeper planning around the sessions now. Sessions are more specific to the individual needs of the players as opposed to generic sessions yeah. that I've always done it under 12, so I'm just going to keep doing them. So I think, think that, that process and, and some of the ideas that have, have come from that have really for some deeper planning, which obviously PE teachers and school teachers in general were always were always doing. So it's a case of now football's kind of being brought up to speed with that. Um, yeah, there's some frustrations along the way with it, but as a general, there's been some much deeper, as I say, planning, um, awareness of where am I trying to go with this group of players and these individuals and, and, and how are we going to get there? So. I think they're the, the two biggest biggest things. Yeah, certainly been some good changes and obviously great to see some of those youth teams uh, get success and of course so many players who I'm sure you've had contact with at different clubs going on to, to see success in those age groups and it is a positive reflection on a system which gets knocked a lot from the outside in so it's good to see. Just reverting back to your um, belief around strengths, which you touched on when we were talking about foundation phase players and, and we, we sort of referred to that. What are your real reasons for believing in a strengths-based approach? I think, I think what happened was we was getting the players in at, at Brentford and we were putting them into a program, kind of, we had a set of we'd work through the syllabus and work with the players but what I was thinking about and after discussing it with coaches like yourself and, and other coaches we had there is that when they've been recruited they've been recruited usually because they're brilliant at something mm. um, really good at something they may well be a, a seven across the board and like tick a lot of boxes but usually there's something that stood out for the scout to notice them um, and then for them to get signed in, in an elite environment that's really, really 
kind of fierce and difficult to be selected for. So my thinking was, how can we help them get better at what they were really good at rather than just work on a, a general plan? Um, and I suppose it goes down to, again, a little bit more individual planning. And now, hopefully, as planning has evolved and as coaches have evolved, that would now be incorporated more within sessions. Mm. Um, however, it wasn't as much at the time. So the, the thought behind it was if they've, they've been selected and they've been signed for, for because they're, I don't know, a fantastic dribbler or a fantastic passer, let's give them some isolated practice with other players that are, have got similar attributes um, and help them get really good at it. So we had one that was like a defending one. Mm-hmm. We had a dribbling one. We had a striking one, um, like a passing slash shooting one. Um, so it was really, let's help them get even better at what they were outstanding at. The rest of the sessions will help them progress across all areas, but let's give them that isolated time. I suppose um, it would be similar to like the position specific stuff that you might do with older age groups, um, but much more specific to the individuals at, at this early stage. And, it's, and the position specific stuff with the older ones kind of incorporates that. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really trying to back their, their positive attributes and, and help them get even better with that as opposed to kind of neglecting that and then that may be falling away, which I've seen with some players sometimes. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.